Good morning, everyone. My name is Dave, and I am one of the pastors here at Cross Point. It's great to see all of you here today. And uh, welcome to spring, then summer, then spring again. And uh, tomorrow's the first day of June. Doesn't it feel like the first day of March? (laughs) Um, I want to welcome all the kids who are in here today. Uh, CP Kids is now done for the season, taking a couple months off, and so I'm really happy to have all the kids with us this morning, worshiping with us, worshiping as families. It's always a good thing, and um, now would be a good time to take out your activity sheet that Miss Hannah created for you if you'd like to um, kind of track along with where we're going in the message and things like that. It's a good way for you guys to do that. Um, many years ago when I was in college, I learned the hard way never to fall asleep in class. I was sitting in a political science class, and it was a night class, and it was like a three-hour class, and this was at a secular state university, so it wasn't quite my brand of political science, but it was still interesting enough. It should have kept me awake, but this particular night, I couldn't stay awake, and you know how sleep, it kind of creeps up on you. You never really choose to go to sleep. It kind of just happens to you, and that's exactly what happened. So I don't know how long I was asleep. But what happened was I was sleeping, and I entered into this dream state. And as has happened many times to me in this dream, I found myself falling and falling and falling, and right before I hit the ground, I woke up violently. <laughs> yeah, has that ever happened to you? And I woke up so violently that I... My whole body jerked, and I shook the desk, and the pen that was in my hand went flying to the front of the class. Papers flew everywhere, and I didn't even know where I was for a split second. And then I realized, oh, I'm in political science class, and everybody's looking at me, including the professor, with an unpleasant look. And I got up. I went to the front of the room. I had to get my pen. I had to collect all the papers that were around my desk, and I sat down. And from then on, I was wide awake. I never listened so well in that class before. Now, all of you know what it's like to be violently awoken to a, a, by a, you know, a dream or a nightmare or a roommate, maybe. How many of you know what it's like to be violently awakened by God? Have you been awakened by God? Have you been awakened to the reality of God? Has the reality of God Shaken you? Has, has God rearranged your life? That's, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Because when we wake up, when we wake up to the reality of God, it should be a sort of violent thing. It should shake us up. Like someone coming alongside you when you're sleeping and just, wake up! I mean, that's kind of how it happens when we are awakened to God and His presence in our lives. Your life gets rearranged. Your priorities change. It's sort of dramatic. That's kind of how it happens. And until God wakes you up, you're really asleep. For all intents and purposes, you're asleep. It's almost like you're sleepwalking through life. Have you ever, have you ever seen someone sleepwalk? It's kind of creepy. I remember when I was 13, we were living in a, a, a bungalow in Milwaukee, and my bedroom was downstairs, and everyone else's bedroom was upstairs. And so I was always on my own floor, 
and I had my own bedroom, and I remember I was up really late one night, and I heard this shuffling outside, and the kid, everything was dark, and I look out, and here's my dad walking towards me down this dark hallway, except he looked like, he didn't look like he normally did. He had this very blank expression on his face, a very blank look, and he wasn't doing this, like sometimes you see, no, no, no. When people sleepwalk, they don't, I've never seen anyone do this with the hands out. But I realized pretty quickly that he was sleepwalking. I was like, Dad? Dad? I mean, I was really freaked out by it. And he walked, he was like looking, it was almost like he was looking through me. And he walked and he turned the corner like he was going to go outside. And then he turned around and he shuffled back through the kitchen and didn't respond to me at all, went right back upstairs. And I think he went back to bed. And that's how sleepwalking kind of happens. Some people can do very complicated tasks while they're sleepwalking. I've heard some people can cook and things like that while they're sleeping. I've never seen anyone do that. But I have heard of people becoming injured while they're sleepwalking. And sleepwalking can be a dangerous thing because you're not conscious of what you're not conscious of what you're doing. And so the point I'm trying to make is that many people today in our world are busy, you know, they're working, they're ambitious, they're building a name for themselves, they're doing all kinds of activities, but they're essentially sleepwalking through life. They've never been awakened to the reality of God. And the point that we are going to consider this morning is that you and I need to wake up. It's high time for us to wake up and to love people the way that God loves people. That's what God's word says. It's time for us to rise and shine, so to speak. That's what the text we're going to read today is really saying, I think. And so we're going to look at Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. This last section of Romans chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, please take them out and you can follow along with me. Otherwise, we'll have the words right behind me in the screen, on, on the screen. And this is what uh, the Apostle Paul writes to the Christians at Rome. Beginning in verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now that last verse, 14, is the verse that we're building this whole series on as we are in the home stretch of our series in the book of Romans. But this passage in particular is really about the urgency of love. It's about the urgency of love for us as believers. It's what it, we need, it's time for us to love people the way God does. It's basically what the apostle is telling us. It's time. The time is right now. 
And there's no better time. You and I have, are, are, we don't really lack love. Okay, you and I are full of love. The question is, where's that love directed? What, what are the things that we really love? I think is really the question we need to ask ourselves. We have, um, we have plenty of love, and sometimes our love goes to sleep, and it needs to be awakened. It goes through phases sometimes, our different loves. Uh, for example, one of my daughters, um, you, I mean, some, sometimes we are just, we're, we're so passionate about something, and then, and then that passion just kind of fades away. And that, and that passion needs to be awakened. That's another way to think of it. So my daughter, for example, one of them is, uh, she used to love little people. The Fisher Price little people. You know what I'm talking about? These things right here. I think that's Eddie. And she has, I don't know how many of these things. And for years and years and years, she, all she wanted to do was play little people. She loved little people. We watched the videos. We sang the song. We really encouraged this obsession for some reason that she had with little people. And now, she's 11, and she really doesn't love little people anymore. She doesn't play with little people very often anymore. She's moved on to other things, and, and that's okay. Her love has changed. She has, you know, her loves are, are going somewhere else now, and they'll continue to change. Our love for people changes too. You know that, right? Our loves for people changes too. When you were a child... You loved your parents. You looked up to your parents. You just wanted to be around your parents all the time and spend all this great time with them and everyone was happy. And then you became a teenager. And when you become a teenager, you're more like, whatever. I don't need my parents. I don't want to serve my parents. I don't want to be like my parents. I don't want to be around my parents. Your love for your parents changes. At least the feeling. You don't feel like, you don't really feel a lot of love. For your parents. You probably would admit that you still love your parents, but man, your desire to be with your parents and to be like your parents and to serve your parents is at an all-time low when you're a teenager. That's kind of how it works. But then, guess what happens? When you become an adult and you realize what life is really like, you love your parents again, and you're with your parents, and they're older now, and you've never loved them more. <laughs> That's sort of how the, our loves change, and they go through these phases, and you know they go up and down and up and down, and things it just... Your love for your parents was awakened once you became an adult and had kids of your own. Isn't that kind of how it happens? That's been my experience. I, I, for another example is, um, I used to, when, when my family was, uh, when I was a kid, my family went to a church in this area for many years. And there was a, there was a sort of loud family at this, that went to this church called the Spielmans. And their kids, oh, you know them? And their kids were young at the time. And um, I remember I, I was in middle school. I was like 14, and their oldest child was Vicky. She was nine. Now, Vicky at the time was this wiry, lanky kid with buck teeth and bangs, and she hung around my little sister and wore spandex a lot, and she was always either doing cartwheels or complaining about something. I sort of remember Vicky like this. That's kind of <laughs> the image that I... <laughs> I couldn't find a picture of her back then, but... She has a good attitude, so I think I'll be all right there. And that's, <laughs> uh, yes, I'll probably regret this later. 
I didn't, I didn't had no love for Vicky back then. I was way too cool for her. I wanted nothing to do with her really. I didn't really, I mean, she was around and I kind of tolerated her, I guess, but I, she was just one of my sister's friends, you know? And, um, then something amazing happened. We, my family left that church and, you know, we, we went to, we ended up going to a different church for a while and, you know, life went on and things changed. Ten years later, ten years later, I ended up walking into a gym for some gathering with some other young people and friends who, I, some of them I knew, some of them I didn't. And, and I saw this, I saw this young woman there and she was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life. And you know who it was? Vicki Spielman. And my jaw like hit the floor. That's Vicki Spielman? Oh my goodness. My love for her was awakened. It was awakened that night. Vicky doesn't even remember that night. But I do. I remember that night very well because my love for her was awakened that night. And, and it's been awake ever since. And so our loves, they change. You know, they go through these phases. And sometimes our love, our passion for God needs to be awakened. And our passion, quite frankly, our love for our neighbors needs to be awakened. And those two things go together. You know, I mean, you can't love God and not love your neighbor. You just can't. The Apostle John said, he asked the question, how can you love, how can you um, love God who you haven't seen and not love your neighbor who you do see? In other words, you can't. It's impossible. Loving God means loving your neighbor. It means loving the people who God puts in your life. That's what it means. That's what it's all about. That's how we express our love towards God. And those loves have to be awakened in us. God's love for you, by the way, doesn't change. It's constant. God's love never changes for us. God's not the problem. We are the problem. Our love for God goes through these ups and these ebbs and flows, so to speak. In, in the book of Jeremiah, we read something interesting about God's relationship with his people. In Jeremiah chapter 2, listen to what God says through the prophet about his people. He says, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness and in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. So in other words, there was this time when God's people were completely in love with him, like a bride is in love with her uh, husband. And, and, you know, they were willing to follow him anywhere. They wanted just to be with God all the time and, and to know God and to follow him. They trusted him with everything. But then something changed. And later on in, in the same chapter, chapter 2, um, God goes on to say this, My people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. So, in other words, God's people had seen his glory and they loved it. They, they just clung to God's glory. When God delivered Israel from, from Egypt, where they were slaves for over 400 years, and he brought on the plagues and then he um, delivered them through the Red Sea, Israel was totally in love with God. 
and singing his praises. But then something changed. They got tired of God. They got bored with God. Their affection for God began to fade. They treated God, they traded God's glory for lesser, more worth, worthless things is what they did. God had delivered them and promised them a land, a home, like they'd always dreamed of. He promised them peace, but it's almost like they didn't want that anymore. So they just, you know, that was, that was good for that time, but now I love something else more. It's, it's sort of like what they were experiencing. And they needed to wake up. God's people need to wake up. In fact, you and I need to wake up. You and I, no matter where you're at in your faith, in your, in your relationship with God, right now is the best time to wake up to the reality and activity of God in your life. Do you know why? Because our time is short. Our time is short. Our lives are short. And there's no better time for us to devote ourselves to loving God and loving people than right now. Right now. Right now is the time. In fact, at Romans 13, which we just read this passage in verses 11 and 12, listen to this again. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. In other words, stop sleeping. Stop being lazy in your relationship with God. Stop being lazy spiritually. It's time to wake up. It's time to get to work. It's time to follow God right now. There's no better time than right now. One biblical scholar has said, he he did a study of Jesus' parables, and he basically said, that all of Jesus' parables, and he gave all kinds of examples that I don't, unfortunately, don't have time this morning to walk you through all of them, but I looked at them this last week, and I, and I think he's right. He says all of Jesus' parables point to two primary characteristics of disciples of Jesus. Do you know what, you know what he says they are? Number one, he says disciples know what time it is, and number two, disciples of Jesus live according to the time. That's what almost all the parables are about. This is how the, the, uh, many of the parables describe disciples of Jesus. So Romans 13 is talking about this very thing. And when Romans 13 uses the word time, there's, there's two Greek words, in fact, for time in the New Testament. The one word is chronos, which is basically, you know, time on your watch, time on your calendar, sequential time, time in general. That's not the word used here. The word used here is kairos, which means a very unique season of time. A very special season of time in history and in our lives. That's the time that we're talking about here. Now, what is unique about the time we're in now? What is the, what is the season of time we're talking about? Basically, what we're talking about is the age or the season of time between the first and second coming of Jesus. That's the time we're in right now. In other words, why do we need to wake up and live with urgency? Why is it so important for us to, to, to wake up to the reality of God right now? 
Because our salvation, the Apostle Paul says, is closer to us now than it's ever been. Our salvation. He's talking about our final salvation when Jesus Christ returns to save us from final destruction. Because that's what will happen when Jesus returns. And we're going to talk about that. In other words, if you think about it this way. If you had one year to live or less, let's just say that you felt something this week or there was some spot somewhere or something that caused you to go get further testing or something like that and the news came back and it wasn't good. There's a tumor, there's a condition, there's a growth, there's something like that. And all of a sudden, you have, you have months or maybe a year to live. Would that news change the way you live this year? Would that news change your priorities? I'll bet it would. Right? If you knew that Jesus Christ was going to be returning to earth this fall, would you live differently this summer? I'll bet you would. Or you would at least try to. Or you would at least think about it, wouldn't you? That's the idea. There's an urgency here. And right now, in fact, is an utterly unique time in history. We are living in a time where the kingdom of God has broken through history. How did God's kingdom break through history? Through Jesus Christ. When Jesus came, he came preaching the kingdom of God. He came preaching the good news about God, the gospel. And he said the kingdom of God is here. And when Jesus ascended, he sent his Holy Spirit to continue the growing the kingdom of God. Showing people the kingdom of God on earth. And so the kingdom of God has broken through history into the here and now so that the kingdom of God right now is invading enemy territory and causing men and women and children to be reborn in their innermost being. In other words, God, through the work of the Holy Spirit and through the, through the ministry of his people, through his church, is undoing the curse of sin, which is death. And he's causing people all over the world to be remade, recreated after the image of Jesus so that these people, these new creations, begin to live like Jesus in the world. And they begin to carry out Jesus' desires and Jesus' commands. They begin to show others the love and compassion of Jesus and the patience and the power of Jesus wherever they go. That's the kingdom of God at work in the world today. That's the kingdom of God alive in this world, undoing the curse of sin, redeeming people. We call that redemption, buying people back, buying people out of slavery and bondage to sin. That's redemption. That's what we're all about as a church. Our mission as a church is to be on the move to redeem people and families with the gospel of Jesus. That's what the kingdom of God is, is about for us, redemption. And that's exactly this, what's unique about this time we're in right now is that God is at work all over the world and he's at work in your life to call people out of darkness and into the light. He's at work to rescue people from sin. That's what God is doing. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. This new power that is able to change everything about you from the inside out. It's, it's this power to wake you up from sleep. 
And to cause, when you are awakened to the reality of God, life starts for you. It's like life begins for the first time. And you have a new joy and a new peace and a new urgency. And you realize that, that time is of the essence and that my time is short and every day counts. Every day counts. That's what, that's what this is about. And real disciples of Jesus, they love their neighbors as if they're running out of time. Disciples of Jesus know what time it is. They know that one day soon, Jesus Christ will return to earth and he will judge the nations and he will establish his rule and authority once for all. And on that day, every, every human being who's ever lived will admit that Jesus Christ is Lord. When Jesus, come, when Jesus Christ comes on the clouds and, and, and he is exposed and his glory is visible, there will be a group of people who will shrink back in horror because they don't know him. And then there will be another group of people who will stand in awe and wonder and expectation because their king is coming home. And those are the people who are awake to God right now. Those are the people who are awake to God right now. In fact, in Matthew 25, Jesus told another parable. And he talked about him. what's going to happen when he returns to earth. And when Jesus, you know, when the Son of Man, he says, returns and comes to earth, he's going to separate all of, you, all of mankind into two groups, the sheep and the goats. And he's going to judge people. And you know what the criteria will be when he judges people? Ultimately, the criteria will be whether or not people know him, whether or not they're trusting him for salvation. But the evidence, he says, of whether or not they know him and whether or not they're awake to God is whether or not they loved their neighbor, whether or not they loved people. He talks about, did you feed the hungry? Did you give the people who were thirsty a drink? Did you give those people who were poor clothing? Did you visit the people who were in prison? That's, the char- that's how those people are characterized. The people who, have, who are identified with Jesus and who, who are justified through faith in Jesus will have lived the life of loving their neighbors. That's what he's saying. At the end of time. That's how we'll know who's, you know, who belongs to God and who doesn't. Who's awake to God and who isn't. And what this means is that we don't have time to not love our neighbors. That's what it means. We are often slack in our love. We make excuses. We're so focused and so busy with life that we simply miss opportunities to shine. We miss opportunities to love and serve the people around us because we have places to be and people to see and things to do. Loving your neighbor is not a priority to people who've forgotten what time it is. But for disciples of Jesus, loving God and loving your neighbors is the priority. It's just your number one priority. It's something you're always thinking about. It's something you're always looking for opportunities to do. And without going into, you know, the whole description about, well, who's my neighbor? You remember, remember the lawyer came to Jesus the one time and said, 
Uh, Jesus, what is the great commandment? And he was, of course, putting Jesus to the test. We looked at that passage uh, in the fall. In Luke chapter 10, and Jesus said, uh, uh, what is the greatest commandment? And, he, and the lawyer said, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. And then the guy said, well, well who's my neighbor? <laughs> who's really qualified to receive my love? And, and Jesus told the parable, of course, of the good Samaritan. And, and the, basically the point of the parable is that your neighbor is whoever God puts in your way. It doesn't matter if, you, if they live near you. It doesn't matter if you like them. It doesn't matter if they have a lot in common with you. It could be your enemy. But if God puts your enemy in your way and they have a need, and you see that need, love meets that need. Love goes out of your way. You go out of your way to meet whatever felt needs your neighbor has. That's what it is. That's what we're talking about. And I think you know that. I, I'm pretty sure you already know that. And this, this ha- we see those different needs in so many different ways. I don't have to spell it out for you. When you see a need, you'll know what it is if you are loving God. If you are in a habit of worshiping God, and seeking after God in your life, you'll know. <laughs> you'll know when it's time to love your neighbor. You'll know. Now the question is, how do I position myself for this? How do I prepare myself to live this way? Where do I find the strength and power to live this way? To live with this kind of urgency every single day? Where do I find the, the strength for that? We're told in verse 14. I think this is the key verse that kind of sums up verses 12 and 13. Um, this, is what, this is what he says. He says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does this mean? Well, last week I, I introduced this, this verse and I introduced the idea By saying that to put on Christ is to let other people see Jesus in you. To let other people see Jesus' love in you and his power in you and his patience in you, his compassion. Let the people around you see Jesus, see his life in your life. I think that's essentially what it means. Let your relationship with Jesus be as close as the shirt on your back. That's another way you might think about it. Act in a way that's consistent with who you're wearing. It's another way to think about it. In other words, for example, if you were wearing a tuxedo or a former gown, a formal gown or something like that, you would probably act differently than you normally do, right? If you're wearing really nice clothes, you, you don't slouch as much. You, you're not going to be laying down or lounging as much. You might even talk differently, or act differently if you're wearing a tuxedo or a, or a formal gown. Or you might not. But most people would probably act differently. You probably wouldn't go lifting weights or working out while you're wearing a tuxedo because you're not dressed for that. And so this becomes a very practical command for us. 
Because what the Apostle Paul is saying, when he says, clothe yourselves with Jesus, what he's saying is, remember who you're wearing. Remember who you're united to. Remember who you are and act accordingly. That's what he's saying. Remember that you are clothed with Jesus. This, of course, is not, this, in, in this passage in particular, he's not talking about a once-for-all command. He's saying this is something we need to be doing regularly. Regularly putting Jesus on. Every day, putting Jesus on. Waking up, putting Jesus on. Just like you put your clothes on. Spending time with Jesus. Thinking about Jesus. Following after Jesus every day. Abiding in him is the way Jesus talked about it. Abide in me. We keep doing it. On my wedding day, which was almost 13 years ago now, the night before, I didn't sleep well at all. I think I told you about this recently. I was up with some couple, some cousins of mine slept over at my house. That was a terrible idea. But we had a great time, and I was... We were up all night. I probably slept for one or two hours the night before my wedding day. I woke up looking terrible. I managed to take a shower. There was nothing special about the morning. You know, I ate cereal like I did every other morning. Relaxed conversation. I wasn't even in a hurry. Before I knew it, the wedding was like an hour away, or hour and a half away. And I was like, okay, we got to go. We got to get going. So my cousin and I got in my car, and we were driving, we were on our way, we were supposed to be on our way to the church, and then all of a sudden, my cousin was overtaken by a craving for a butter burger from Culver's. And this was like mid-morning. And I'm like, are you serious? You, and, 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 and I obliged. That was mistake number two. We went to Culver's. There was a really long drive at the drive-thru, and I only remember that because I remember repeating all this to my angry wife later. There was a long line, really. There was a long line, and we finally got his butter burger, and we were running late, and I was dressed like a slob. I was driving a piece of junk car. Anyone who would have looked at me would never have thought that I was going to be married in an hour. I was getting ready. I was on my way to my wedding. Nobody would have guessed that in a hundred years. Then an amazing transformation took place. I got to the church. I got dressed. I took off my basketball shorts and my tank top. I put on a, you know, a really nice pair of tailored dress slacks. I put on a perfectly clean, bright white dress shirt, followed by a vest, a tie, a jacket. I took off my flip-flops. I put on these nice black dress socks and covered those with the shiniest black shoes I'd ever worn. And I combed my hair. I looked decent afterwards. You know why? Because I was about to get married. I was about to see my bride. For the first time, my bride, I wanted to look amazing, right? In front of hundreds of guests. I wanted to be dressed accordingly. And then, of course, my wife came down the aisle. And she looked amazing. She looked brilliant, radiant. She was breathtaking. When we left the sanctuary, we gave the keys to my 1997 Honda Accord hatchback, which had like 250,000 miles on it, to a friend, and we climbed into a beautiful Excalibur that someone let us use that day. It's just an awesome car. And we rode in luxury to the banquet hall. 
We were seated at the head table for everyone to see. We were on display the whole evening. We could sense all night that all eyes were on us. You know? Every moment, every glance, every kiss, every dance mattered because this was the one day in our one life when we would celebrate and experience for the first time the most beautiful and mysterious and powerful institution ever created by God, marriage. And we were dressed accordingly and we acted accordingly. Because that's what time it was. It was time to get married. It's like no other time in your life. And to those of you who are disciples of Jesus, do you know what time it is? It's time to get ready for the wedding, my friends. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about preparing ourselves to be wed once for all with our true husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know when that's going to happen? When he returns. You know when that's going to happen? Soon. Our salvation is nearer now than it's ever been. It's time to live every day as if this is the day God has set us apart to shine, to live for the glory of Christ, to point people to hope in Jesus Christ, to love our neighbors, to love our enemies in the power of Jesus. Every day we're to be prepared to meet our Savior. Every day we are to act as though all eyes are on us. We're to live in the light as if every deed is exposed, as if all eyes are on us. And you know what? One day every deed will be exposed. So why not live that way now? We are to live in the light as if we're running out of time. And we are to to display the glory of Christ in our words, in our actions, in our attitudes, our habits, our behaviors. We're to put on Christ every day and let every person in our life see Jesus in us. And when we fall short, when we fall short, when we live in a way that's not according to the time, we're to bring those things into the light too. We're to expose those things too so that we can find forgiveness. So that we can find restoration. We are to act like disciples. We're to act like we're united to Jesus for life. Because the time is short and the time is now. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word this morning. And I thank you, God, that your word is living and active and powerful. And that you, by your word, God, are able to wake up the sleepiest soul and call us to a new life with you at the center. You are able to wake us up from our slumber and to wake us up from our laziness, to wake us up from the distractions that we are currently, you know, leading us astray in our lives right now. And you are able to create urgency in us so that we live with a new set of priorities and a new focus and a new power, which is Jesus Christ in us. I pray, God, that today and as we move forward in this series, as we talk about your word and your work in the world, that you, God, would teach us what it means to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to take off our old clothing, 
our stained clothing, the clothing that is stained with sin and stained with guilt and stained with regret, that we would take that off and throw it aside and that we would put on Jesus who represents us. There are no stains on him. He is perfect. He obeyed you at every point. He fulfilled the law. And he is the one that goes before us. He is our substitute. So that when we stand before you, God, you see a radiant bride, spotless, without guilt or stain. Praise you, God, for that. We pray that you would give us a new hope today in what Jesus has done on our behalf and that we, in response, would look for ways to love our neighbors this week, to go out of our way to meet the needs of those who you put in our way so that they can wake up to your reality in the world. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Give you the benediction out of, out of the book of Ephesians. And it's a short and simple one, but let it just wash upon your heart as you go forth this day. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. May he shine on you, my brothers and sisters, and show you his ways. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Go with God.